It's a pivotal scene in that classic movie, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. And it's a pivotal scene because it's at that moment when he recognizes, as he said, that there is a great chasm, a gulf there between him and his goal and where he needs to get to bring healing to his dying father. And he gets to that point and he recognizes, as he says, it's impossible. No man can jump this. And you know what? He's absolutely right. There was no way humanly possible that he could get from one side of that great gulf to the other without taking, as he said, a leap of faith. You know, as we've been looking through uh, the history of the Reformation and what we call the five pillars of the Reformation or the five solas, which means only or alone, we come today to the one that is solus Christos, or solo Christo, which means Christ alone, or in Christ alone. We've been looking at that great passage in Ephesians 2 that says we have been saved by grace through faith. I read it this morning as our call to worship. But we also know that it is not only by grace alone through faith alone, but it is in Christ alone. And so why is that, that, that scene so important? Because not only does he recognize it's going to take what he calls a leap of faith, that it is by faith that he can then step out to the unknown to bridge that gap. But what we notice is what he said, it's impossible for man to do that because there was a bridge there. He couldn't see it. A bridge spanning that great gulf, that great divide. And we recognize today in the Christian faith that Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone represents that bridge. Amen? Amen. And so he comes to that point, and it's a, it's a crisis for him. Will he have the faith? Will he, in faith, accept that there is a way? And he does. And there is a bridge there. This morning, as we look at, again, the 500th anniversary of the Great Reformation, the Protestant Reformation, we see that the sola for this morning is... Christ alone. That salvation is in Christ alone and no one else. And why is that crucial? It almost sounds like a silly question to ask. But you know what? There are many Christians and, of course, non-believers, non-Christians who look for any other way to be reconciled back to God other than the only way. We're going to look at a bunch of passages this morning from the book of Hebrews, the one that Brother Bob used to introduce that hymn. We're going to see that passage again as well. So all of them will be up on the screen for you. There's some others that go along with it. But if you use your own Bible uh, during service, you can turn to Hebrews, and there'll be three or four passages we're going to look at. And the main reason is this, that Hebrews is the only book that we have in Scripture where Jesus is called our great high priest. Why is that important? That's our focus this morning, and here's why. Because as we look back on the history of the Reformation, we see that Martin Luther and those before him and then after, 
They were looking at the church at that time, what we know to be the Catholic church, the only church at that time uh, of which he was a part. Remember Martin Luther being a monk, right? And a teacher of the Bible to other monks. He's recognizing that the church has gone astray and it's not following what he finds to be scriptural truth. And one of those great truths is that we are saved by the great mediator, the only one who can bridge that gap and come between us and God to reconcile us back to him. See, but the church at that time had recognized that their priests, their leaders were able to be mediators, that they were able to offer forgiveness of sins in many different ways. Remember we talked about how Luther railed against this idea of selling indulgences that if you paid money, the church would guarantee that you and even your relatives who passed on could get out of what they called purgatory if you were to just give money. See, even in that sense, money was a mediator between you and God, right? Bridging that great chasm and that great gulf and divide. And why is there that great separation? Well, we know the simple gospel tells us, and we read even earlier, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Because when God created the world, and He created man, Adam and Eve, right? The first of humankind. Everything was perfect. But then we know from the story that sin entered into the picture. The enemy came and deceived. From that moment on, there was a separation between Adam and Eve and all of their descendants, including us, because of sin, because of rebelliousness and disobedience. So from that moment on, when they were cast out of the garden, there was a separation between God, who is holy, and mankind, who is not, who is a sinner. Do you see? And so there is, very simply, this great divide, as that movie scene depicts, between us and God. But God, in His graciousness and His mercy, from the very beginning, provided a way for that gap to be bridged, for there to be reconciliation between sinful man and a holy God. And it is through the shedding of blood a sacrifice i mentioned that i believe last time that it was even with adam and eve when he cast them out of the garden it says that god put animal skins on them to clothe them which means there was a blood sacrifice done by god the same thing has happened with jesus christ that he is the only way the book of hebrews puts it this way i mean jesus has many names and titles right But in the book of Hebrews, the one that is focused on, which is so really important for us to understand, is that Jesus is called our great high priest. So just for a a few minutes today, we're going to look at what does that mean? What's the history of priesthood from the Israelites and then to today? And what does that look like for us? And why should we believe in this idea of solus? Christos, that it is we are saved through Christ alone. For we believe that there is one mediator between man and God, and he is the only way.
So we look at the book of Hebrews, and here's why. There'll be a few passages that we'll bring up, and it'll be up on the screen for you. But it calls Jesus a great high priest. We don't know who the author of Hebrews is. Perhaps you weren't aware of that, but it's one of those books. We don't know who the author is. He's not designated in, in, the, in the book at all, as many others are. And we don't really know. And scholars um, you know, can't agree, and there's guesses here and there. But it's, um, it's safe for us to just say we do not know other than the Holy Spirit. Okay, So we'll go with him as the author, because, of course, we know that to be true. But the word priest is used many times throughout Hebrews to describe... Jesus Christ as the great high priest. And that word, a priest, carries a couple of primary meanings. First, it means one who mediates in religious services. You know what all what a mediator is, right? Sometimes maybe we go to counseling, go to marriage counseling, and even things like civil government can be a mediator, right? Um, there's many different mediators we have in life that, that we just kind of take for granted we agree upon. It's Someone or maybe something that that um, you know reconciles us to another or bridges a gap, whatever that might be. But when it comes to the idea of salvation and what interests us here this morning as a primary importance, we recognize that Jesus is the only one to be the mediator. But first, this idea of priest carries along with it someone who mediates in religious services, who presides over religious service okay but it also means one who is listed holy and set apart to also perform those services all right the first place in in all of scripture that we see the word uh, for priest used in the bible is genesis 14 and here's the background the story for it you don't have to look it up but here's why we see that first so abraham we all remember who abraham is right uh there was a time and it's recounted in genesis 14 when he goes to war to rescue his nephew Lot, okay, remember Lot, right? Got in some trouble. And Abraham goes to rescue him because, they, because he was at war and he was captured. Lot was captured by the enemy. So Abraham comes to his rescue, to his defense. So Abraham wages war on the enemy and he saves and rescues Lot. So on Abraham's return trip back home, he meets this very interesting character, and his name is Melchizedek. Great name for, for your kid if you want to name your child. And so just, you know, Melchizedek. It's really the only time we, we see him here, but he is then mentioned again in the New Testament. We're going to look at that as well. But here's why he's important. It's a very interesting and important read, and so I would, um, I would highly suggest that you go back and read Genesis 14 uh, on your own but abraham is walking back home he's making that journey and he comes across this man named melchizedek he is noted to be the king of salem so obviously a country or nation or kingdom at that time but he is also recognized as a priest the first time we see it a priest of the most high god the scripture says so this man melchizedek he blessed abraham when he had heard of the story of the war and rescuing Lot, he blessed Abraham. He also blessed God, the Most High God, of which he was a priest, for the victory that Abraham had found in rescuing Lot. So in return for that blessing of the priest Melchizedek, Abraham gives a tithe. 
He gives a tenth, is what the tithe means, a tenth, an offering, right, of all the spoils of war that he had just received to the great priest Melchizedek. And in doing that, Abraham acknowledged Melchizedek's position as a priest of God. Fast forward many years later, when the law is given to the people of Israel on Mount Sinai through Moses, right? You've read it, you've seen it depicted in the movies. When Moses is up on Mount Sinai and God gives the law to his people Israel through Moses, right? The Levites at that time, one of the tribes, were commissioned to be servants in the tabernacle. To be servants in the place where they worshipped. If you remember, the Levites were uh, named from Abraham's great-grandson, Levi, one of the, the 12 tribes of Jacob, right? And so that tribe was set aside and sort of commissioned, as we say, to serve in the tabernacle. And if you remember, Moses had a brother, Aaron. Remember him? He was, a, he was one of his helpers along for the ride in that whole journey. And Aaron was of the family, of course, then of Levi. And Aaron's family in particular was appointed to become priests, to serve in a special way in the tabernacle. So at that point, under the law given to the Israelites, the priests were responsible for making intercession to God on behalf of the people. And how would they do that? They would offer all of the sacrifices, the blood sacrifices, the animal sacrifices, the grain offerings, everything that the law required, the priests had that role of being the mediator between God and man. And he would be the one who would offer those sacrifices on a daily basis, but also on one particular special day of the year, the most holy and solemn day in Judaism. We know it as Yom Kippur. It is the day of atonement. When the high priest, right, there were priests, but out of the priest there was one who was designated. This is important. Remember, we're leading towards making the correlation to Jesus, our great high priest. Under the law, in that family of the, the Levites and Aaron's family, the ones who were set aside as priests, there was one who was designated as the great high priest, okay? The one who would then once a year on that day of atonement, Take the blood offering, follow me here, and go into the Holy of Holies. Now, the Holy of Holies was at the center in the middle of the tabernacle. You had the outer courts, and they would make their way through. There was the holies and then the Holy of Holies. You know what was in the Holy of Holies? The Ark of the Covenant, right? Where God resided, where they believed that God dwelled. And so once a year on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would take the blood offering and go into the Holy of Holies. Can you imagine what he felt like knowing he was coming into the very presence of God, approaching the Ark of the Covenant? And he would sprinkle the blood offering onto the Ark to cover the sins of the people. So sacrifices were made daily, but also that special sacrifice on that one day of the year, the Day of Atonement. We know it as Yom Kippur. And so that high priest would do that. And he did it 
as a mediator between God and man. That was the system, the sacrificial system that God set up through his people Israel, right? But now, when Jesus is called our great high priest, we know it simply is telling us that profound truth that he is that promised Messiah. Do you see, here's what was happening. The Israelites knew that this was the way to have their sins forgiven through the sacrificial system and the priests. But they also knew that there was a promise of a Messiah, a coming Messiah that would bring victory to their people, freedom to their people, and would save them once and for all for their sins, you see. So it was a temporary system set up until the coming Messiah would take away their sins for them. So in the book of Hebrews, Jesus is called our great high priest because now Jesus himself and him alone in Christ alone becomes that one mediator, the one last sacrificial lamb. Remember what John the Baptist said? Behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The one and only final sacrifice needed. So just like Melchizedek that Abraham met way back in Genesis 14, Jesus is ordained as a priest in kind of two ways. One, apart from the law. Think about it this way. Melchizedek is really interesting figure that, that Abraham met who was called a high, a high priest of the Most High God. That was way before the law was given. So he was a high priest apart from the law, which hadn't even existed yet. It's important to know that Jesus is called a high priest in the order of Melchizedek, mainly because, first of all, Jesus is ordained by God the Father as the one and only mediator apart from any law, right? But also, it says this, Hebrews 5, 6. It says, so also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, you are a priest forever. And here it is after the order of Melchizedek. That's where we get that from. Hebrews 5, 6. You can put that in your notes if you'd like. See, just like also the Levitical priests under the law, see, Melchizedek was a priest outside the law. The Levites were priests under the law. Jesus offered a sacrifice to do what? To satisfy that law. Do you see the connection that we're getting here that the priests under under, um, God's sacrificial system for his people of Israel, they were offering sacrifices that were given under the law. You go back to Leviticus, you're going to read all about all the different sacrifices that were necessary for all the different sins. It's an amazing study. So Jesus not only offered the sacrifice apart from the law, being ordained by God, but also within the law, Jesus himself as the sacrifice satisfies the law of God when he offered himself for our sins. And unlike those Levitical priests back in the Old Testament who had to continually offer sacrifices day by day and also once a year on the holiest day, Jesus only had to offer himself 
once. Isn't that awesome? Once and for all. Not every day. He offered his sacrifice once. He gained eternal redemption for all who would come to God through him. Hebrews 9.12 says it this way. This is where we get it. Hebrews 9.12, He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, which is what Brother Bob read earlier, but by means of what? His own blood, right? Of His own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Can we just read that again? Look at that. Hebrews 9.12, write that down, highlight it in your Bible. He entered once for all into the holy places. This is what Jesus did. Remember, you see the connection? The priest would do that. The high priest would do it once a year, going into not only the holy places, the holy of holies, but it says Jesus entered once for all, not every day, into the holy places, but not by means of the blood of animals, goats and calves, but by whose blood? His own blood. And what does that give to us? It secures for us an eternal redemption. But one other important point about Jesus' priesthood. See, every priest was appointed from men. They were human beings. So therefore, we know the incarnation had to happen. God needed to come to dwell among men, right? God in the form of man, Jesus Christ himself, born in humble ways in the stable, died in humble ways on the cross, right? So therefore, since under God's plan, every priest was appointed from men, Jesus, through God from eternity, he became a man in order to do what? To suffer death and to then serve as our great high priest. The importance of the incarnation. As a man, it also says in Hebrews 4, he was subject to all the weaknesses and temptations we are. You know why that's important? So that he could personally relate to us in our struggles. Jesus is greater than any other high priest. He's called the great high priest. But that gives us then confidence to come to him in our time of need. Look at this great passage in Hebrews 4, 14 to 16. Since then... We have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet he was without sin. So let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Isn't that awesome? What a great promise, great privilege we have that we can come to God's great throne of grace. Why? Because Jesus is our great high priest. And he is a priest who who knew what it was like to be tempted, to have weakness, to suffer, to mourn, right? That's why it's so important that God had to come in the form of man in Jesus Christ to go to the cross. Why? Ultimately, because there had to be the shedding of blood. We go all the way back to Adam and Eve, and we see that God's system for the Israelites was sacrificial giving through the shedding of blood, the blood of animals. But now Jesus 
is that one last sacrifice once and for all, and it is His blood that takes away our sins. And because of that, we can rejoice and have hope and even have confidence when we are struggling, it says, when we are in a time of need, that we can come to Him with all confidence that, Jesus, You know what I'm going through. You know what it's like to feel this pain. Have you ever prayed that? You should. In the time of of need and even desperation, you can cry out to Jesus, but have that hope and assurance and confidence that He is able to help because He is our great high priest. Also look at Hebrews 7. This is 23 to 27. This is the last section of Hebrews we're going to look at. Uh, And then we'll be closing with just a couple other passages. Look at Hebrews 7, if you will, 23 to 27. This unpacks it even further. It says, The former priests, who were many in number, because they were prevented by death from continuing in office, that simply means that they were humans, so they had to die, right? It says, But he who holds, he holds, meaning Jesus, his priesthood permanently, because he continues forever. The the priests who were men, they served and they died, but Jesus lives forever. So therefore, he is our great high priest, not temporarily, but permanently. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. It's in Christ alone. Since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and for the other people. No, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. Great words of comfort for us. That Jesus, who was holy, innocent, unstained, separated, and exalted, did it once for all unlike the human mediators. And that is what Martin Luther and the other reformers were speaking out against, that the church of that time had exalted men in that same place as Jesus to say you could go and get absolution from your sins to to a, a, a man, a human, one who would live and then die, as it said in Hebrews 7. You see, so we recognize that as the Reformers did, wait, this does not match up with the truth of Scripture. For it says in Hebrews that Jesus is the great high priest, the only one. That Jesus is the one who offers access to God now. Not any human spiritual leader. As we saw in that movie clip, there is, because of sin, a great divide between God and in mankind between god and humankind and then who is the only one who can bridge that gap it is in christ alone and not by any man not by any other religious leader throughout history who claims to even be god jesus christ and him alone is the one who can reconcile us back to the father through his shed blood as the great sacrifice and as our great high priest Right, So we say that along with the Reformers for the last 500 years of church history, we can proclaim as we do here in this church that salvation is by grace alone, 
through faith alone in Christ alone. A couple other additional verses, and then I'm going to close with one more thing about priesthood. John 14, 6, we know it. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, right? He is the only mediator. Acts 4, 12, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Can it be made any clearer, right? So if we are to grow as Christians and trust in obedience to God, we have to have an ever-deepening understanding of not only who we are, but who God is. So we can train our gaze on Jesus' death and resurrection for our daily and eternal hope. For that is where we find mercy and grace in this life. You know, the books that we use in our theology class on Wednesday nights, the book that we use for our discipleship class at 9 a.m. on Monday, on Sunday mornings, both of those books start with a study of who God is. How else can you start a study of how to live the Christian life without first understanding who God is? There are so many misconceptions today about the nature of god you know why people what they do what we tend to do in our sinful nature is they'll take a little bit of this a little bit of that a little bit of what they heard in sunday school or the preacher on tv or from their friend or their favorite philosopher and they put it all together and say god must be like this or they take their own experiences right with how they believe god has worked in their life throughout their their lifetime and they say okay god must be like this then and simply i would say have you ever read the very word of god because that is where we learn the true nature and attributes of the holy god is only from scripture that's why we started this whole study in the the history of the reformation with sola scriptura right It is through Scripture alone that we get our authority. Not by other men, not by philosophers, not any other religion, but in Scripture alone. It is the Bible alone that teaches us who God is. Let us never fall into that, fall into that temptation to make assumptions or misconceptions about who God is, because that will lead you down that proverbial slippery slope. So let us look to His Word alone right for us to understand who god is because then we gain a deeper appreciation of not only god's holiness but our sinfulness understanding that great divide that separates us but then recognizing the great and awesome truth of the sufficiency of christ's sacrifice that will lead us to be humbly submitted of heart right from the time and the fall of adam Mankind has needed a mediator, someone who could span that gap as we are now separated from God in our sins. For man is sinful and God is holy. But we recognize, again, throughout the the years of church history, we proclaim it still, that Jesus Christ is the one mediator. And I end with this. There is one other passage I'd like to look at. It's 1 Peter 2, 4 through 9. And here's why. Do you also recognize that God sees us and calls us a royal priesthood? Those of us that are believers, the church, we are called 
the priesthood of believers, the royal priesthood. So wait, what does that mean? I thought Jesus was the only mediator. That's true, the great high priest. But listen, in our sacrificial giving of our lives to him, in our sacrificial praise and worship, we act as the priests did. So we are called, in First Peter, we are called a royal priesthood. Do you ever see yourself that way? Coming to church saying, I'm a royal priest. Now what, right? But we are called a royal priesthood. So we believe in what's called the priesthood of all believers. And that we take part in that. No, we are not our own mediators, right? Before God. That is Christ alone. That has been made clear. But we are also called a royal priesthood. And here is why. First Peter 2, 4 through 9. Put it in the context of the way that you honor, worship, and serve God. Listen. As you come to Him, a living stone rejected by men, meaning Jesus, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, that's talking about us, like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house. Isn't that a great image and a picture that we're all living stones? Christ, the cornerstone, we're living stones being built up, right? To be a holy priesthood. To do what? To offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, again, that's us, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And also a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense for those who have not yet believed in Jesus. They stumble, it says, because they disobey the word as they were destined to. But look at the last verse. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Light, isn't that wonderful? That's why we can be called a royal priesthood, a holy nation, because we are those living stones being built up, being built up on the foundation of the chief cornerstone, that is Jesus Christ. So be encouraged, be encouraged, brothers and sisters, that as the church, as believers, we are called a royal priesthood. That we have the one great mediator, the great high priest that said that we offer sacrifices through Christ. Remember what it says in Romans 12, right? That we are to offer our bodies as living sacrifices. Do you know that we are now called the temple, the Holy Spirit? There used to be the tabernacle and temples built where God dwelt. But where does God dwell now? In the heart of the believer, right? in the person of the Trinity, in the personhood of the Holy Spirit within us. Jesus Christ, given us the Holy Spirit. So we are now called the temple, right? Because God lives within us. So therefore, if we are the temple and we are a royal priesthood, then all that we do and all that we say is a great response and worship and sacrificial giving to the great and holy God through our one mediator, the great high priest, the only one 
who can bridge that gap and reconcile us back to a holy God. Amen? Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the power of your word. We thank you that Jesus has many names and many attributes, but yet we see here in this great book of Hebrews that he is called the great high priest. We thank you, Father God, that you give us such a clear picture and we can connect those dots to see how in your original sacrificial system, there was priests that you appointed, priests to be the mediator to go between God and man. But we thank you so much, Father, that that system no longer exists and is no longer necessary and is made void because of Jesus Christ and Christ alone. We thank you that he is that great mediator. We thank you, Father God, that you teach us in your word that when Jesus died on the cross and gave himself up for us, it says, the veil of the temple was torn in two. That veil that separated man from God in the holy of holies, the most holy place, that we then have direct access to you, the Father. But it's only through Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father God, that we are no longer under that law, under that sacrificial system, that we no longer have to rely upon a man, a priest, to offer a sacrifice before us. But that curtain was torn in two and came crashing down so that we now can enter the Holy of Holies where you are and have a personal, intimate, loving relationship with you, the creator of the universe. And God, we thank you that it was all made possible by the last and final sacrifice ever needed. That was Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son, that whoever would believe simply, believe in Him, would never perish, but have eternal life. We thank you for that truth of the gospel. May us all understand it this morning, Father God, if there is any, any of your people here this morning, those that you have created in love, Father, anyone here who is seeking after you, who has not yet simply believed that truth and put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and in him alone for their salvation, to bridge that gap between you and them. Father, would today be the day? Would you lead us all, Lord God, in understanding of our need for forgiveness in our place as sinners but that Jesus Christ took upon himself our sin that we now may be called the righteousness of God we thank you Father God that we are saved by your grace not of our works that we are saved through faith by accepting that gift of salvation that we are saved in no other mediator, no other name, but Jesus and him alone. We thank you, Father, that we can believe that great truth, that it is in Christ alone. Father God, continue to reveal that to us in many ways. Help us to not only believe it, but to live it and proclaim it wherever you may call us to be. And we'll give you the thanks and praise for it. Of course, we ask in Jesus' name, amen.